Yes, hello everybody. My name is John, the host of the SNL Stats podcast, and I am back with you this week for a very special show. Last week, if you didn't check it out, Sammy K took the keys to the DeLorean and went on a journey with our superfans, Bill Kenny, Andrew Haskell, and newcomer Casey Killingsworth. They did a great superfan takeover where they explored different what-if scenarios about the history of SNL and explored alternate universes. You know, like where Lorne doesn't leave in 1980 or where Lorne hires Jordan Peele to play Obama. There were a lot of really interesting scenarios they discussed and it was great. And they did some SNL trivia. So if you haven't checked out last week's show, make sure to do so and make sure to subscribe and follow SNL stats to never miss an episode. Turning to this week, the Jordan Peele playing Obama thing is actually very relevant for this show because where we are right here, um, a day a lot of you have been waiting for, inauguration day for the Biden administration in the United States, we're heading right towards it. And we were recording this a few days before the inauguration, but I thought it was a great idea for some off-season content to do a little bit of a primer about the history of SNL presidents. So before I set the podium, let me introduce my guest. He is the host of the That Week in SNL podcast and an expert in all things vintage SNL. Andrew Dick, <laughs> how are you? I'm doing fine. Doing fine. Uh, you know, sure, expert in all things SNL. Still a little bit baffled why you, you wanted me to come here and talk politics, because I think on the podcast, I say over and over, it's one of my least favorite parts of the show. So that, that, you know, that is exactly why I wanted you on here, to be honest with you, because that's how a lot of people feel about SNL. I remember having a conversation with somebody who was unaffiliated with our podcast, and I told him I, I host an SNL podcast called SNL Stats, and he was like, why do they even do politics on SNL anymore? Like, I don't understand it. Like, if I had to give advice to SNL, it would just be cut out the politics. And I was mm. like, well, you would be cutting out really, like, the heart of the show, which is, you know in its early infancy was this counterculture, you know, go against, you know, say, say bad things about the president and do things that were, um, you know, like da dangerous, I guess that's what I would say. And mm. I think that to take that away from the show, even if the show has basically neutered that themselves sometimes, um, that that would be, you know, taking away one of the core aspects of what makes SNL SNL. Yeah. I just it is fascinating because, you know, host that week in SNL. And I think one of the, the most fun things about going back to vintage SNL is just seeing what they're doing with what's happening during that week or that month or whatever. And that includes the political material. But the I mean, it's always like weekend update in the cold opens. I mean, they're always the things that are just they're a drudge to go through because either it's just lost a time on, on what's going on, what they're commenting on that in that specific week. You might even know the broad strokes uh, of what is going on, but maybe specifically what happened that week. You're like, I don't remember that. Uh and I'm, it's always baffling to me because I guess we're, we're pretty much going to be talking about cold opens here. Uh, and I always find it strange that for a show that leans so hard into that, it's the cold open and the political material is almost one of the last things the show knocks together. And that's yeah. always baffled me because, you know, I think they feel very strongly about it. And, and you see it all the time. Oh, man, what's SNL going to do to comment on this? Uh, but usually they're knocking it up like Friday night, Saturday morning. Uh, these are things that, yeah, barely make it through 
uh, the night, you know, it, it, most of like the Trump stuff and the from the past couple years, uh, the political commentary barely holds up the day afterwards <laughs> in a way. Yeah, so. it, it, it's it's so true. And, you know, the fact that SNL sometimes leaves that stuff for the last minute, you know, has a lot to do with a couple things. Like one is, do they have a voice for the current president or the future president? Have they figured out what that thing is that they want to cover? And sometimes I don't think that they know what that is. It came to them much easier when, you know, during the Jim Downey era where they had political writers who kind of had that, um, you know, that that was their passion. That's what they wanted to do. They wanted to cover that stuff. And I don't know that they have that as much now. And also the news cycle moves so much quicker than it did, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, where now, you know, things happen every single day, and you have uh, nightly talk shows that cover this stuff already. So it's not as relevant for SNL to cover. Yeah. Uh, and as you mentioned, like not having a Jim Downey or an Al Franken over the last decade or so is really just damned the show to pick people that I don't think their heart is in writing this political material or you got somebody like you know colin jost and michael che who are doing a political cold open and also doing weekend update where i feel like a lot of times they save the best stuff for that yeah like they got like there's two uh they got to comment on the same thing twice and i feel like they usually just leave the better jokes for weekend update to begin with so uh always a very tricky thing to talk about and yeah, usually one of my least favorite parts of the show. For sure. And and that's what, you know, that's what it makes. It makes it exciting for me to see what we can get out of this episode today, because I, I want to explain to the audience exactly what we're going to be doing here. And I know that a lot of our listeners, especially ones that are coming to us from your podcast, are SNL experts and really know everything there is to know about the history of political impressions on SNL. But we do also have some listeners who haven't gone back to watch older episodes, may not remember everything. So all I ask is that you bear with us a little bit. We're going to talk through each administration we're not going to be covering you know like what happened in the world during the reagan administration and stuff like that you know that's for political podcasts what I, what we want to talk about today is you know how did snl cover the president at the time what did they do well what didn't they do well did they learn from their mistakes as they moved on and and as snl changed how did they cover you know the different administrations so you know i just want to say it off the top and then i also want to say we're gonna you know miss details on stuff. So, you know, don't, don't kill us over it. You know, we're just going to talk through things, you know, the best that Andrew and I can. And, uh, you know, I encourage you, if you think of other things afterwards that we didn't get to, or interesting things we didn't talk about, let us know, comment on the YouTube page, you know, write to us on Twitter, whatever it is, whether it's Andrew or I, because, uh, you know, like this is for fun and we're just going to see what we can do as we move towards inauguration. Yeah. Saying all that, uh, let's start with, you know, the beginning of Saturday Night Live, you know, show comes on in 1975 and, you know, it's in an, a really interesting time in the world because the main thing that's happening outside of SNL politically is, uh, you know, there's this whole Nixon and Watergate thing where, you know, Nixon, uh, you know, gets removed from office and uh, President Ford comes in and really SNL is one of the first shows that, you know, Andrew and I were talking pre-show about, you know, this counterculture, counterculture, I don't even know how to pronounce the word. How do I say that? <laughs> 
countercultural? Yeah, countercultural experience for all of the cast members who just want to kind of like rebel and show, um, you know, that they can go against, uh, you know, politics and the writers. They want to write interesting content. So we see, you know, a couple of impressions that are are really pertinent to the show in the first few years, which is Dan Aykroyd playing Richard Nixon. Um, which we get, you know, we kind of get that part way into season one in the, if you go back into the Peter Boyle episode, we have Aykroyd who's playing Nixon, like hidden in a mask where he's in a talk show with Jane Curtin and he's like hiding and he's talking about, uh, you know, like everyone knows that it's Nixon, but he's not saying it is. I understand you have a very important message for us. Uh, well, as everybody knows, I've, I've had a lot of time to reflect, uh, to take long walks on the beach. Oh, I let my hair grow longer a bit. Read some Herman Hess. And then there's this very like famous Nixon sketch in the Madeline Kahn episode later in, in season one, um, where you know you it's it's you know you go into the final days of Nixon's administration. Oh right, yes. Yeah, like so that one I do remember. You, you, Kennedy, you always looked so good. They're going to find out about you someday, though. Oh, yes. Yes, having sex with women, the president, within these very walls. That never happened when Dick Nixon was in the White House. Never. 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 So, so the, you know, let's start there. Let's start with, like, the first president that was, you know, prior to the show. Um, how did you think, you know, that SNL tackled this because this was like really Watergate was like the talk as SNL kind of came onto the air and there was you know this president who was kind of seen as like a little bit of an evil guy and then they put Dan Aykroyd in this position to cover him. Well, you know, you bring it up and, and we're off to a rousing start because I'd kind of forgotten about that, to be honest. Um, I definitely remember the one from from the Madeline Kahn. And I think it helps. I mean, from the beginning, you do have Al Franken in the building and you have Michael O'Donoghue. And they're just ready to rip everyone a new one. Uh, so I think that helps from the get-go. Just just scathing, scathing satire uh, on this dude. And, you know, uh, for SNL and television, I'm sure this is the first time anybody has been this nasty to the president, at least televised. Like, I'm sure in the Lampoon, National Lampoon book, you know, magazine, you'd, you'd probably get a lot of that. Uh, but to have it but right there, NBC, one of your three main channels, uh, to just be that scathing, uh, it's ballsy. Yeah, and you can't, you can't really talk about you know, how they cover Nixon without talking about how they covered Ford, because, you know, they're, they're simultaneously playing these impressions. You have Chevy Chase playing Gerald Ford, you have Dan Aykroyd playing Richard Nixon, and they do really different things with these two impressions. Like the Nixon one is like the take on it is basically, you know, and this is, this is basically the feeling of the country at the time is that, you know, Nixon did a bad thing and they kind of go into his mindset and the, in the different sketches about, you know, like um, what really happened on the tapes and what really happened in the final days. And you see what kind of what's happening in Nixon's head. And then they take this other turn with Ford where he comes in, where Chevy comes in and it's really in the, in the fourth episode of the show where mm. Chevy comes in for the first time, the Candace Bergen episode. And the first thing you see is, you know, Chevy like banging his head on the podium and playing him like an absolute oaf. I do have <laughs> I do have two major announcements to make. Whoop, uh -oh. No problem, no problem. No problem. Okay. 
My first announcement is one I think you've all been waiting for. Oh, no problem. <laughs> no, okay. No problem. Sorry. And that's their take. And it's very clear, you know, when you, it, it's almost jarring to me, Andrew, when you watch these impressions of Ford and Nixon back then, because it's so obvious to the audience what the take is on these two presidents. It's that, you know, mm. Ford is dumb and falls everywhere and is an oaf. And Nixon is like this evil man. But we don't get those same things like now. We don't see what SNL's take is on the presidents, but it's so obvious back then. Yeah, true. I mean, my biggest thing with, uh, you know, with the Trump stuff was that it was so muddled coming from his like the character is sometimes aware, not aware, uh, just coming from all angles. And yeah, I like I always wanted to look this up and still never have because it was such a touchstone for comedy and, and Gerald Ford. What was the bungle that he did? I feel like I don't think this man just tripped everywhere, but I do think there was a time where he kind of stumbled over something and everybody was like, that's it. We're taking that. And that is you. Yeah. Uh, and and that, that's what I think that SNL did so brilliantly. And I, I would say, like, um, I don't think that there was anything. I think that it just really was like maybe he did bumble. Maybe he mumbled his words once. Maybe he almost fell somewhere and they just took it and ran with it. And it's so interesting. And you'll, you'll see this later when we talk about, you know, George H.W. Bush or George Bush. But this is, you know, one of the impressions that SNL basically shapes the country's mindset on what this person is actually like when they're not necessarily that person. Like Gerald Ford, if you go back and watch his speeches, was not somebody who just like randomly fell off the podium, but everybody, you know, was waiting for that moment in real life when you see Chevy do it 16 times between, you know, 1975 and then comes back and does it until 85. Well, it's interesting because the whole fourth thing is just, uh, it's not even an impression. It's just an extension of what they were doing with Chevy at that time anyway. Because we were slowly building up the idea that the show will open with Chevy doing a pratfall. So, I mean, again, somewhere, Ford must have tripped over his own shoes or something. And, and SNL was like, that's it, Chevy. That's how you're going to open up the show this time. Uh, with your pratfall, you're going to be Ford doing it. And it's not an impression. It's just like vaudevillian uh, physical gags. Uh, and not even really much of a satire on the president. It's just goofy humor. Like even when they get to like the debate sketch, it's more just him bumbling, falling over, like pouring a pitcher of water and then drinking from the pitcher, setting the pitcher, and the pitcher falls off and then he falls over. Uh, it's just all physical gags. So it's always interesting to see that that was their first, true take on on you know the sitting president and it almost has nothing to do with the man and his politics yeah l let me give you this hot take and and maybe it's not a hot take so uh, so i apologize but but l let me know what you think about this take i think that if snl and they didn't do this for the first three shows like i said the the first real political impression that you get afford is in episode number four of season one but if they don't cover the president if they go no politics season one I don't think the show is still around. I, I, I think that, you know, covering Nixon, covering Ford, covering Carter, like they did in the first five years, I think that gave the show enough attention and it was interesting enough that it stood out above anything else on television. And it was like, oh, now I can't wait to see what SNL is going to do about this. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that, you know, the show continues eventually. I know that we have this, 
we're going to talk about it, but we have the situation where the producers of the show change and it's been talked about a million times what happens between 80 and 85 where they don't want to cover politics. But really, like when I'm talking about the essence of the show, I wonder if they just decided, hey, this is going to be a full on variety show. We're not going to cover the president because we don't want to do that if the show is even still alive today. Right. Well, I, hmm, that that is an interesting thought. I mean, when because you got Dan Aykroyd as Jimmy Carter, when he leaves in season four and move on to season five, the last season for, you know, Lauren and most that cast, uh, they don't do anything with Carter, really. Or it's just off to the side. Like they never reassign uh, that role to anybody. And I do think the show can survive without the politics it just maybe would not be the same because I feel like there are people that do only watch SNL for the political material, which is strange to me because again, just it doesn't hit for me. Uh, and I don't know what size that audience is, but they are there and that's all they really care about. So I don't think the show would end. I don't think it would have been canceled in the first season because I think just the, the force of the show and Chevy and everything would have would have kept the ball rolling. They would have gotten another season regardless. Uh, but it, I can't say it didn't help, you know. Yeah. And you talked about Jimmy Carter, which is uh, a good transition over to the next administration that we see. And this is it's it's really interesting because. Um, the show comes on in 75 and then we, you know, we're slowly heading towards the Carter administration and it's, it's great timing for the show that they have an election pretty soon into the run, which, you know, we, we talk about election season and SNL now, like when it's election season, you know, you're going to get more viewers. It was great on the show that in, in season two of the show, we're going into an election season and they get to, t you know, they get to play. Uh, you know, Dan Aykroyd gets to play Jimmy Carter and you get to see uh, Chevy's Ford impression a little bit more. So it, it's really great for the show that they get an election season. We have reached the end of our question and answer period. We just have enough time for your concluding statements, if you please. The purpose of these debates... America's future is brighter than ever before. In the last two years, I have provided leadership not only for the United States, but for the free world. The economy is only But like you said, you know, the thing about Jimmy Carter, if, if you had to look at the SNL Hall of Presidents, uh, you know, Dan Aykroyd plays Jimmy Carter and plays him about, I think it's 28 times between 76 and 79. But if I asked you, Hey, what's the thing about Jimmy Carter that you remember from SNL? Tell me what that thing is. <laughs> well, what, what I think about when I think about Dan doing the Jimmy Carter is how uh, at least the first handful of the times that they they did it, uh, they just let Dan keep his mustache. <laughs> like it's just like it doesn't even look like it. it's just Dan's got the mustache and everything. It's like, well, Jimmy Carter doesn't have that. Uh, but it is nice that the show was able to transition over from Chevy, just kind of doing his Chevy thing, into Dan, who is just a perfectionist in his impressions. So it's a very dead-on impersonation of Carter in Dan's own way. Uh, mostly he nails the voice, but as I said, like, you know, they just let the mustache fly. 
for a little while, which I think they the show should continue to do. Like, I don't really care how much the performer looks like the person they're impersonating. They just need to have enough of the soul and character there for me to just buy it. So the, the, the mustache never really bothered me because uh, Dan's giving it enough in other areas. But it is always amusing to see that mustache there. <laughs> well, eventually made him get rid of that. Yeah, I mean, like, what, what I got from it basically is, is again, like, I mean, for those who've been watching the show, they know I'm Canadian. Like, I, I did learn a lot about, S like, uh, American politics through SNL. Um, mm. But what I got from from Aykroyd playing Jimmy Carter is basically Jimmy Carter is like a nice Southern boy that doesn't really do anything. And, um, you know, you even see it in Joe Piscopo's uh, impression of Jimmy Carter, which you see in, in season six, basically. Um, mm. But he's like a sad man who isn't really having fun anymore and thought being president was, would be fun, but, but it's not fun. And no. um, well, you get a lot of that energy crisis that was going on. That's that I think the big focal point for what they would do with uh, Carter usually had to deal with the gas and energy uh, crises of the the late seventies. Yeah, and and just the fact that a lot of people thought he was a lame duck president. And I'm asking that all Americans to conserve energy this holiday season by turning off your Christmas lights, and to kick it off, my daughter Amos. <laughs> my daughter Emma will officially unlight the White House Christmas tree that we lit on Wednesday. And make make this comparison to me because it's something that that um that you brought up, which was that you know Ackroyd is so good at his impressions. Like we see it in the Bob Dole impression. Like eventually, like he's so good at impersonating people. I almost wonder if like Ackroyd's Jimmy Carter is like kind of like like Pharaoh's Obama in terms of like, it's just like, so like spot on in terms of like the voice and everything like that, that it's just, it's almost hard to laugh at because it's like, there's just nothing like, it's like Chevy's Ford was so extreme mm -hmm. that it's almost like um, when you see Ackroyd's Carter for the next few years, it's not, it's not as funny because it's not as ridiculous. Yeah. Well, it makes it, you need to lean on the writing more uh which you know again for many years you had either michael o'donoghue or al franken there so uh it was still saying something but there is something forgettable about the performance even though it is a fairly dead-on impersonation it doesn't have doesn't have that special special sauce to really have that memorable char character. Like you can't, you know, it's SNL. You're going to have to make like a character out of it uh, yeah. for it to truly be fun. So when it's just kind of dead on, you really need to lean on the writing. And for like, you know, Pharaoh uh, playing Obama, nobody really had anything to say. So it just kind of sits there, even though it's very solid. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And also, you know, like, I think it's a sign of, you know, the lasting effect of one of these presidential impressions is the fact that Aykroyd plays uh, Jimmy Carter until 1979. And I know he doesn't come back to the show for a long time. But, mm. you know, even, you know, as of this recording, you know, Jimmy Carter is still with us. And, yes. you know, Aykroyd hasn't played Jimmy Carter since 1979. Whereas you have like some of our later presidents who, you know, the, the, the SNL cast member that was known for playing them still would come back and play them mostly until this day or until a few years ago. 
And mm-hmm. we don't have that in the Jimmy Carter administration. So I think that's probably a sign that the Aykroyd's impression for, for people in the 70s who loved SNL, you know, Dan Aykroyd was Jimmy Carter. But for people, younger people, uh, if you said who played Jimmy Carter on SNL, I don't know that people would think about Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, and I just don't think Dan had that passion for that impersonation. Like, yeah, Dana come back multiple times as Bush, and I think he really uh, enjoyed doing that character. I, I don't think the political stuff was ever anything Dan was hugely thrilled about. I think he, you know, more wanted to focus on the weird Dan Aykroyd stuff. <laughs> so Yeah, and, and even more so, um, you had Gerald Ford appear on SNL in the first season, um, pro- mm-hmm. mostly, you know, due to the fact that Chevy's playing Ford. And then you have, you know, George H.W. Bush, appear on SNL with Dana Carvey. You know, when Dana Carvey comes back to host, uh, yeah. you know, there's George H.W. Bush right there. But you never, like, have that thing with, with Jimmy Carter. So I, I guess, you know, like, we'll move on from there. But I just don't think, you know, if we're talking about the standout for the first few seasons, I'm always going to think about, you know, how they covered Nixon because of what was happening right at the start of SNL and how they covered Ford because that was such an integral impression to the beginnings of the show. But the the Carter stuff never really hit the way that I think SNL would have loved it to. Yeah. So, and that's why I'm kind of saying is it it doesn't always need it because those are hugely popular seasons and you know, the Carter thing wasn't really carrying it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about Reagan, which uh, to me is, you know, fascinating. I, like I said, uh, you could do a whole podcast on just how SNL covered Reagan, which is Mm -hmm. really that they didn't. Um, And, you know, there are, there are a ton of people, if you're watching the YouTube video, I'm going to put it at the bottom of the screen, there are a ton of people who played Ronald Reagan on SNL. And I know if you, you know, you go back to the the Hall of Presidents for SNL, they have, uh, you know, Phil Hartman playing Reagan because he did play him for the last few years of, of Reagan's uh, administration. But uh, the way that they covered Reagan, you know, was never fully fulfilled because of all the changes in the show during Reagan's administration, at least for the first few years, when you get to the Dumanian and the Ebersol stuff, because they didn't really want to cover politics at the time. And unfortunately, I think that had an effect on the show. I, w- I wouldn't say that so much because, I mean, you did have Charlie Rocket doing uh, Reagan, you know, in season six, uh, the Dumanian season they did do it a handful of times. There's 13 episodes or 12 episodes that she produced. And I would say half of them probably have Reagan in there somehow, maybe not always Charlie playing Reagan. Uh, It's scathing. It is angry. Early eighties SNL is impressively salty and angry. Uh, And so maybe, you know, it's not, going to be Reagan, but, you know, sketches about the moral majority, uh, stuff like that, really what kind of holds it back. And I I, I will defend Charlie Rocket uh, on the show. He has his place, but his place was never Reagan. It's it's one of the worst impersonations the show's ever had, sadly. Uh, He just never found it. Hello, I'm speaking to you tonight about the state of our nation's economy. I regret to say that it's in the worst shape since the Great Depression. It's a complex problem, so I'm going to explain it to you very simply, just like they explained it to me. Um, But I wouldn't say that they completely shied away from it. In fact, I think they went too hard in the paint and kind of turned people off because it was just like, whoa, you watch some of that. It's like, whoa, hold off, guys. 
Like mm. you get like just super quick cold opens and it's just like a, you get pounded for a minute and then the show begins. You're like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I mean, they, they, re- they really go, like, with the Piscopo stuff, like, look, the Charlie Rocket stuff, um, you know, that season is, is a, season six is a blur to me. I mean, I, I really should go back and rewatch it, but just because of, you know, like, how quick things, you know, fall through, uh, you know, it is a little bit of a blur, so, so I'll take your word for it. But with the Piscopo stuff, I mean, when Piscopo is covering Reagan in the Ebersol era, um, they really just basically are saying, like, Reagan has no idea what he's talking about, and he's kind of an old man, um, which, which I think is, is still interesting, I need a nap, Chuck. Uh, you just had a nap about 20 minutes ago, sir, before yeah. you came down here to exercise. Is it that long? I'd better lie down. I tell you what, you finish up my exercises, and I'll lie down here and take a rest, hmm? Uh, yes, Mr. President. Pleasant dreams, Mr. President. But it's just, um, if, I, if like, I guess to, to, you know, put a bow on the Reagan stuff, it's really, you know, that that Robin Williams episode in season 12 where they do that really famous cold open where they have, they give Reagan an earpiece and he goes up and he's doing the cold open and there's like, like interference on his earpiece. Mm-hmm. And he starts, you know, talking about, you know, police signals and, and sports games and stuff like that. You know, that's the first time that, that for me as a younger SNL viewer that I'm watching and I'm like, Oh, this is really funny. Like, this is a great take on Reagan, a guy who has no idea what he's talking about, no idea what he's doing. And you have basically like Kevin Neal in the background telling him what to say. I'm glad you asked that because this is one that I'm ready for because, whoa, Kareem goes on the inside, (laughs) passes to Magic, swish, that's two points, bango. Mr. President, President, we're going to try different frequencies. And until then, you may have to wing it. Well... You may have to wing it. Right. Yeah. And those are always fun. I think they did a couple of those uh, Kevin Nealon in the earpiece uh, cold opens, which are always fun. I do like what they did with Piscopo as Reagan, because most of those were just voiceovers and it was a POV shot of him at the desk. And people would come up and talk to him. And I think there's one time where they do a, an effect where, you know, the camera gets up and he's looking into a mirror and you see Piscopo in nightmare makeup as uh, Reagan. And it's uh, you can see why they only chose to do it once because it's like, no, no, get it away. <laughs> uh, and that's uh, I wish they would have done that for uh, a lot of the Trump stuff is to, you know not have it out there out front but to obscure it uh in, in a way i think helped the show run at it in a different way uh maybe focus on other parts of the administration and uh how they all connect and just the whole you know and just like a pov shot uh, sketches in general i think they're always kind of interesting so i always do appreciate those in their own little way but yeah as as you say the Ebersol was more focused on kind of getting away from that a little bit i don't think he really saw the the need for it as much as say lord michaels yeah, and, and I think that the there's a lot of comparisons you could actually make from the Reagan administration to the Trump administration, you know, especially in terms of outside of the show, you know, you have people who are, you know, former actors or, or involved in media and then end up becoming the president. And I think you're totally right that 
there was certain elements of the way that Piscopo played Reagan, where you see, you know, his his POV and kind of get into his mindset about things. And I think that the best way that SNL did that, if you go into the early Phil Hartman Reagan stuff, they basically made a little bit of a, a heel turn where it's like um, that Reagan plays this you know, old man that doesn't know what he's doing, but secretly he knows exactly what he's doing. Oh, yeah. and mastermind. It's, it's a classic sketch. And that is brilliant. You know, yeah. that's the stuff that's like, in my opinion, like it, it kind of lines up with the history of SNL where it's like the show is back to where it was. And you kind of see it also in the way that they end up playing Reagan at the time. Uh, which is n- now they have a take on this guy that he's like this secret evil genius. Mm. And I find that stuff absolutely fascinating to look at because you can almost see the development of SNL in the political impressions. Well, I hope I've answered your questions as best I could, given the very little that I know. (laughs) Goodbye and God bless you. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you very much. Okay, get back in here. All right, let's get down to business. I'm only going to go through this one, so it's essential that you pay attention. Um, but, you know, you know, really, for me, when the show gets back to a point that's like, huh, this is an interesting take on the president, is when we kind of talked about how they covered H.W. Bush. And, you know, you have this, you know, anyone thinks of H.W. Bush on the show, they think of Dana Carvey. And a lot of people, when they think of H.W. Bush outside of the show, they think of Dana Carvey because of the mm-hmm. way that he he covered it and the way that he created this character. You know, everyone's seen, you know, a Dana Carvey impression of H.W. Bush and thinks that that's actually the way he is. And that's really the first time that we've had this since Ford, probably. Yeah. And I'm looking down at that. When did Jim? I don't remember Jim Downey ever playing him. I want to see that. Yeah, he did it. He did it once in the in the fifth season when he was a featured uh, player. Yeah. See, that's just how little they cared about uh, the political stuff in season five. Like, whatever. You go do it, Jim. Whatever. Uh, Yeah. So uh, Dana Carvey is Bush. I mean, that's that's probably, you know, the two Bushes are the biggest ones uh, in many ways. And I I think it's fun because you can see as you watch it evolve you you can really see how it starts sort of on the nose as an impersonation and then we we slowly roll in all the other bush isms that dana would would make the character pop uh in you know by the time we hit like the 90s and stuff uh all the bad, bad, you know, that that's not really anything the man ever truly did, or maybe sort of did it once. But again, I mean, that's kind of, sort of Dana's uh, specialty is, is truly taking one part of a person and amping that up and making that the character. But if you go back and, and see like the first couple times he did it, uh, it's very staid, uh, maybe a little bit more like the man itself. And it does kind of lay there a little bit. It's not as fun until he just becomes a wacky cartoon character. Yeah. And I, I think about like, um, like if I had to think about like somebody came to me and said, hey, John, uh, name me a couple like Dana Carvey, H.W. Bush stuff that you like think of off the top of your head. Um, you know, there's he did so many solo pieces, at, you know, for the cold open that it's hard to really name one. But I really think about 
Uh, at the beginning, they had, you know, all the Dan Quayle stuff where Dan Quayle is basically playing like a little boy, which is just like a genius <laughs> way to, to do that. And then they have, you know, that stuff is really hilarious. Mm. And, you know, I think about, you know, Carvey, you know, playing him more and more ridiculous. And there's a point where, like we said, where H.W. Bush comes onto the show and uh, in, in a filmed appearance, I, I believe, and or, or it's, he's not actually physically in the building, but they're mm-hmm. able to connect with him. And uh, you see, you know, Dana playing him in front of him. And, you know, that's kind of like the first instance we have of that, which often gets very overused as we get through the rest of, the, you know, to modern times. But um, I, I often think of uh, there's a, you know, October 2000 sketch where uh, Will Ferrell is playing George Bush and Dana Carvey's hosting and playing H.W. Bush. And they have that hunting sketch yes. where basically they ask, you know, like, uh, you, you know, he's about to shoot him in the head. You know, son, why don't you go up there and check on your kill? Go, go on. I'm All right. going to sit for a minute. Go, go on up. That's a good idea. Yeah, right out there. Yeah. <laughs> Can't even think about it. First of all, against the law. Babs wouldn't like it. Well, it's probably just four years. Hey, wait for me, son. I'm right behind you. And I just, like, you know, that to me is like one of those, uh. one of those classic SNL sketches that, um, you know, like one of the things I like to tell people who don't watch SNL, I said, if you're nostalgic or you love like payoffs, you're never going to get more payoffs than watching the history of SNL develop, where you have former cast members coming back to meet current cast members, and you get this element of like these sketches that in your mind you dream of, and then you end up putting them together. And for for you know like Dana Carvey to come back to play H.W. Bush while his son is you know well Will Ferrell's playing Bush and the son being president, it's just like there's these moments on TV that are really special. And I think you start to get that a little bit when you start putting together some of the administrations and the political figures that you have from this point forward. Mm. Well, and again, I think it helps. It did kind of leave them out, but I, I believe most of those were written by Adam McKay. And so they, uh, they have those wild, nasty swings of a Michael O'Donoghue or an Al Franken type of piece. Uh, and that's what makes them so memorable because, yeah, I mean, you do get the two of them, but then he's going to take them out to the woods and, and <laughs> you know, put them down. Oh, it's and so that's, great. That's what makes it sing. You know, it's always, you always got to, you know, SNL, it's, it's a, a harmony between the performances and the writing. And uh, if, if one doesn't hold up to the other, uh, you, you are kind of left with nothing in a way. Yeah. And, and like it's just say, like, I mean, there's plenty of, of the, the curvy Bush cold opens, but they become a wash. For sure. A lot of them are completely just, you know, topic of the week and, you know, uh, Carvey playing uh, Bush, but it's not. And, and, you know, like in retrospect, they're not that interesting, but the fact that the character develops and becomes like so meta in the show itself means that there's a lot of payoff in some of these sketches that are the more famous Dana Carvey, George H.W. Butch sketches, which I think are more interesting to look at. And I think there's no president that does that better than, you know, the Clinton administration, where you have like Phil Hartman, you know, playing the first part of the Clinton stuff, and then Daryl Hammond playing Clinton 91 times afterwards, where there's, there's so much there um, to dig through but there's some real gold in the Clinton stuff. And, you know, like, look, if you haven't gone back and you, you haven't watched, you know, 90s SNL or whatever, go back season 18, 
episode eight, the Tom Arnold show, go watch the McDonald's sketch where Phil Hartman, you know, walks into McDonald's uh, playing Bill Clinton. And you have, uh, I think it's Kevin Nealon who's playing uh, secret service and turns mm -hmm. to him and uh, says like, you know, I don't think your wife's going to like this. And he says, well, you know, there's a lot of things we're not going to tell my wife <laughs> and, or tell the first lady. And all right, boys. <laughs> Let's stop in here for a second. I'm a little parched from the jog. Oh, uh, sir, we've only been jogging for three blocks. Besides, Mrs. Flynn asked us not to let you into any more fast food places. Well, I just want to mingle with the American people, talk with some real folks, maybe get a Diet Coke or something. All right, fine. But please, don't tell Mrs. Clinton. Jim, let me tell you something. There's going to be a whole bunch of things we don't tell Mrs. Clinton. Fast food is the least of our worries, okay, buddy? It's, you know, this is before all the Lewinsky stuff and, yeah. it, you know, before all this stuff happens in real life, but it's just a, it's such a classic, you know, precursor to what we're about to see for, you know, the next 10 years of the show um, that I just think there's just so much gold to mine here in the Clinton impressions. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the whole infidelity stuff uh, was already there from the beginning, you know, when he was running for president. That's why you get jokes like that. Uh, and it is kind of weird to go back to the earlier stuff before the whole Lewinsky uh, trial and all that, uh, because it is they do kind of focus on him being like a food monster, <laughs> which I think is a strange way to run at the president. But that does seem to I mean, specifically in that McDonald's sketch. I mean, you know, he's going around talking to everybody and like, oh, can I have some of your fries? Uh, and that's kind of the comedic heft of it which always struck me as a a little odd uh but you know it's phil hartman he carries it every single time so can't get too mad at it yeah um uh, here's an interesting uh you know we talked like what if scenarios in in the previous podcast or super fans did but um you know daryl hammond like i said plays clinton 91 times between 1995 and 2019 if phil hartman is still with us um do you think he ever plays Bill Clinton on the show again? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I would say probably because, you know, right before Phil had passed, he had hosted the show twice after he left. So I'm sure, yeah, he most definitely would have been a person they brought back multiple times. Um, hard to say if they would always give him the Clinton thing because I think Hammond hit the ground running pretty hard uh with the whole clinton role to the fact where i think a lot of people did forget that hartman did play clinton uh you know a handful of times beforehand i, I think daryl kind of really took that as his own and played him 91 times my god it's, it's crazy wild yeah um i believe it's the most times anyone's ever played anyone on the show uh so yeah. um you know, it's really crazy. But like, look, there's so many things that happen across the Clinton administration. Um, obviously, we're not going to cover the Hillary stuff because uh, she was not elected. But the, uh, you know, like there's just so much play off the different people who played Hillary over the years, whether it's, you know, the Jan Hook stuff or the Amy Poehler stuff. There's just so much to mine there. And, uh, you know, we're, we could do, like I said, a whole podcast on the Clinton impression. But I just think it is such an excellent impression, um, you know, both by Hartman and by Hammond, that there's a lot of stuff that I encourage you to go back to check out. Um, but let's talk a little bit, you know, George W. Bush, which we covered when we talked about, you know, his father. 
And, you know, this is a really interesting impression for, for modern times because you have, uh, you know, the clear and obvious, you know, kind of like the Chevy Chase thing with, with Ford and kind of like the Dana Carvey thing with HW, where you have a, you know, a very clear take on what George W. Bush is with Will Ferrell when he starts playing him in 99. It's just that Bush is dumb and that's it, mm -hmm. you know, and it's funny because Will Ferrell is hilarious and everybody loves Will and just for Will to be able to play a guy dumb, it just works. And, you know, like there's just so many famous things that you see with the strategery and the 2000 election and all that stuff, all the Bush and Gore and, and Hammond playing Gore, like all that stuff is great. I bet they're all great. I used to party my ass off in this place when my dad was president. <laughs> but now I'm the president. I know. <laughs> you're, you're not the president, right? <laughs> no, you are, George. Don't worry. No more lawyers. Then it's official. I'm the president. This is going to be cool. <laughs> hey, hey, maybe I'll start a war. What people don't realize about that is that Will Ferrell left the show like a year or a year and a half into the Bush administration. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have to wonder if he had stayed on the, you know, he had been on the show for, I guess, uh, seven years at that point. But uh, you have to wonder if he had stayed on to play Bush, uh, you know, much further into the administration, what that impression could have been and what sketches we could have gotten from that administration. Yeah, possibly. I, I mean, I think the, uh, I think the fact that it did go through a round table of a couple people trying to do Bush uh, was interesting and, and made them, attempt to tackle the character the person in in different ways because i feel like if we did have feral continue to play the role i'm not sure it had other places to go and in, in many ways it ended just at the right time for him and i, I always find it interesting the whole commentary about you know Farrell making the character so likable in the country's mind that that's what, you know, helped get him elected, which I don't know if you have any feelings about that. I've always felt that's, it's, I don't know, a kind of strange way to look at it. Like, I, I don't know if people put that much importance on SNL's take on the president. And it's not like they ever truly, like they never, straight away from this man's a dangerous idiot. Uh, that was always the take. It was just everybody loved Will Ferrell and they liked this performance. And I, but I don't think that actually ended up with votes. Uh, so I don't, I don't know how you feel about that, but that's, that's, I, I've heard that said multiple times. This is how I feel. I feel that people became more interested in politics because Will Ferrell played Bush. Does that mean that they went out and decided to vote when they weren't going to vote before? Um, I don't know. Did people vote for Bush specifically because they wanted Will Ferrell to stay on SNL longer and play Bush? Well, look how that turned out. He only stayed for another year. So um, I, I don't know. I think it's, I, I think there's, you know, causation. Well, I don't know what the term is, but uh, I apologize if I messed this up, but I don't know that causation is really correlation like or, or, or vice versa, whatever that is. Um, Counterculturalism. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I just, I, I don't know if, if, you know, I think that it certainly had, I think there are people that became more interested in politics because of SNL. You can ca- like carry that through the entire history of the show. I think there's people that became not as much interested in politics because of the history of SNL. Um, but I just think that, uh, I, I don't think that this swung the election as close as it was. I think that's a, mm-hmm. that's like, a, you know, a big claim uh, to say that that was the reason. Yeah. And it does bother me over the years where, uh, and it did, it bit him in the ass uh, eventually, where SNL, like before the election is even done, they would just call it. I think they did that with, uh, you know, like Bob Dole and stuff. Like, you're not, it's over. It's over, bud. Uh, you know, well, they, did that, they did that with Trump too. They did that. Yes. With and the, that's um, what I'm saying is, yeah. is the Trump stuff now is like they, they did that multiple times and uh, it looks like clown shoes now because as no you were so wrong uh and that kind of um wow the privilege or or you know the fact that the the show thinks it has that much sway and and could say that uh really bothers me many many times when they do that when they just forecast uh this just being a done deal uh always bothers me because they do that multiple times uh, throughout the years and Let, let's let's put a pin in that because I do want to talk about that when it comes to the Trump stuff um, yeah. because that that is really a a you know historical moment on the show that we're not really able to see in its proper perspective now in 2021 but I think in 2031 we're going to be talking about what happened in 2016 with SNL in a different light a little bit because we're further away from the seriousness of everything that's going on mm-hmm. um, but you know, let, let's let's move on to Obama, and then when we get to the Trump stuff, we'll cover it in a, in. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I just want to say, uh, yeah. past Farrell, I, I think you know it mostly went to Forte, Will Forte, for a couple years, and even though Will Forte, you know, said he didn't want to do it, didn't like doing it, uh, I will give him credit for taking an already very established character in person and do his own take on it uh that is unique in and of itself while still remaining uh very visibly you know bush like you can tell it's still bush but it's a different bush and uh i always give him props for for really you know doing that uh, having a different run at it but then looking at the the scroll here like i i it's always memory wiped that sadekis also played bush for for a number of years i always forget that every single time i see an episode where that happens like no my brain refuses to accept that this happened i always forget this it is very weird um yeah so 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 i i agree with you um i'll, I'll compliment anything forte does um so and, I, and I'll, ultimately i think the show just wanted another will to play bush and that, that mm. was why they went that way so um <clears throat> let's move on to the obama stuff which to me is is a whole lot of nothing um not to be too harsh but yeah. you know basically armison plays him as a really quiet cool guy and i think the same way that you know, you have, uh, you know, Hillary to play off of for all the Clinton stuff. You know, you have this whole Obama-Hillary rivalry at the beginning of the Obama administration that they use, you know, like the polar stuff for that is kind mm-hmm. of interesting. Um, I always like to compliment, like, I find the Rock Obama stuff is the best take that SNL ever had on Obama, which is this yeah. guy who's just, like, trying to keep it all together and right. can't. 
And I thought that's where they were going with Biden as well. Get mad. Get mad. And my friend, I'm starting to think you may not be up to it. Mr. President, are you okay? What happened was you made Barack Obama angry. And when you make Barack Obama angry, he turns into The Rock Obama. Really for me, it's Armisen playing four years of Obama being a cool guy, and then Farrow playing four years of Obama, like straight. It's just, he has the cadence down, he has everything, but it's just, there's just like not a lot there. Yeah, and well, I mean, with with Fred in the role, I mean, there's always that conversation of the uh, ethnic oopsie-doo of it all, uh, where it's just like, well, I know Fred's a mix of many things, but, you know, very strange to see what still basically equates to blackface in, you know, 2012 on the show. It's like, boo, guys, come on. And, And when Jay Farrow is there still, like it takes, like they hire Jay, and then it's still like two years, I think, before they even start using him in the role. And I think that whole era of the show is fairly fascinating because you have these cold opens still written by Jim Downey, who's not in the office. Like he's just in his, you know, cabin in the woods, wherever down he, down he is up there in upstate New York or whatever, just faxing in uh, these sketches. And I'm not even sure like, you know, what the stage directions are. It's like, there's only a handful of people ever who can get over Jim Downey's very, very dry scripts. Uh, usually only the man himself can truly sell it. Only do, the best person who can sell Downey's material is Downey. Uh, and there's other people that can do it as well. Uh, I think Sudeikis uh, had a good run of it, uh, you know, as well as, as Biden. I think he's able to cue into what is supposed to be there. But I don't think Armisen ever had it, you know. So you just get these very long four, five, six minute things just behind a desk, just almost probably dry reading uh, these just rambling cold opens that seem so disconnected from the show. Uh, It's just not what the show is doing politically. Like you you watch the Seth Meyers updates and they're just kind of goofy, uh, not even really truly political in and of themselves there. And, it just it's it's very strange. It's a very strange era. And uh, I'm glad they finally got away from Downey, but I don't think their replacement uh, the replacements ever really truly worked out either. the The show is really at a loss for somebody with a good way to make political satire in a sketch context. It's an excellent point. And, you know, you kind of got me thinking about, you know, the Fred era with Obama and and going back into the history of SNL political impressions. I wonder if, you know, we talked about the meta of SNL. 
I wonder if it's funnier and better for the show to take a cast member that is a normal guy, a very talented normal guy, like your, your Chevy Chases or your Phil Hartman's that's, you know, seen as very, you know, put together when they're, you know, themselves. And then they play ridiculous. You know, let them play, you know, uh, Ford as being, you know, you know, bumbling and falling and let them play um, Clinton as, you know, this guy who's, you know, hungry and going to cheat on his wife and all this stuff. But then when you take a Fred Armisen, who is weird, he is just like yeah. a weird dude. And to play him straight, I don't think that's funny. Like, I think that's no. where they went wrong is like, it's so much better to go the opposite way is like, is like, take the normal person and play them ridiculous instead of taking the ridiculous person and playing them normal. Oh, and it's so bizarre. You watch Armisen in his first year or so, like he's got it. And then he reaches a point where he's like, he doesn't really have it. And then he finds it. He finds the character. And then it seems like he just kind of gives up. Like by the end, he's not even, it doesn't even seem like he's trying to do the voice or the cadence anymore. Like it just seems like he's just like, I I gotta do this, I guess. Uh, yeah. And you never really want that. I mean, you at least want some level of passion behind the performance from the performer. And uh, yeah, that that also makes it a drudge of like, I don't even think Fred's heart isn't in this. He's not super dry Jim Downey stuff like no, he just wants to be weird. And that, yeah. that's 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 fine. I mean, that's what we love Fred for. It's like whenever I saw Fred on stage, it's like I knew something really strange was going to happen because he's just like a strange dude, and yeah. and that's okay. Um, but Obama is not a strange dude. Obama's like a cool guy who like likes to play basketball and stuff. Like like I just don't think that was Fred. Um, but uh, yeah, so I so I do think that like look, if you're looking, my my one of my favorite eras of SNL and the the era that I had, you know, during my high school cast and all this stuff is the you know, like that first Obama administration, um, you know, like I, I was in high school basically between 2005 and 2010. So you really get like those later years. And, you know, it's kind of okay for me because if you don't love politics and you don't love SNL and stuff, if you can look past, you know, the Fred Obama stuff, like there's a lot of great stuff in those eras or in that era. Uh, there's a lot of great episodes, a lot of great seasons and stuff like that. But then, you know, when we get to 2016 and we get to the lead up to that election, holy shit does the does the show completely change course um and we're gonna talk about the trump stuff and i know this is like you know people don't want to hear it a little bit so we'll we'll keep it kind of tame but you know we covered it a little bit we talked about it um trump has been covered on snl you know all the way back since 1988 i mean this is a guy who was a billionaire in new york city he was invited to the show as a guest in the past he hosted the show twice as everybody knows he was a friend of the show to a lot of people and even while he was the host of the apprentice you have a lot of you know pretty funny daryl hammond sketches where he's playing trump before he enters the political realm but then go ahead yeah well and i think it's interesting because that apprentice era is you know actually let me rewind that 80s phil hartman as trump it is obvious the show hates this man every single time that character that that you know trump pops up uh it is just to tear him down as much as they can fast forward uh to 2000s Trump's in the NBC workings apprentice. Uh, you know, I think he even had uh, his own, you know, audience seat. Like, I think he liked coming to the show so much that they had a seat set out for him. There's there's one time, I don't even remember what episode it is, uh, where, you know, just between commercial pan of the audience 
And who do you see? There's Trump in the audience. Just random episode. And it's much more uh, just, you know, look at this goober. Like, oh, he's a big goober with the stakes and like, bah, Trump. Uh, and it's very kid kid gloves. Like they're, they're just kind of not even really doing much with it. But just like, yeah, he's kind of a buffoon, but he's a benign buffoon. And uh, that's always a, a bit strange to return to. Like the whole like, you know, commercial parodies with him and stuff where he's like doing ad reads and stuff. Uh, I don't know. It's very tricky. There's a lot of weird stuff, but um, yeah, I mean, look, look I mean, I, I grew up on reality TV. I thought it was funny at the time. I know a lot of people don't love that particular era, like the early 2000s, um, like Tina Fey era, which which is totally fair. But the but I do think that there's um, there is some interesting stuff there. It's just that, you know, once, you know, Trump runs for president, obviously, you know, the show makes a I, I don't know what you want to call it, but a pretty interesting decision to have him host in the run-up to the election um which was you know in the past in the history of snl it's not uncommon for snl to invite political figures you know who are in the running to come onto the show as a special guest or a weekend yeah. update feature whatever it is but then or the campaign has ended right there's also that you know gore steve forbes th this is afterwards when they yeah. host it um, but the, yeah, so, I mean, he, he hosts the show and it's, you know, a very weird decision and basically things kind of take off after that point. Um, and, um, the, the, the interesting part of this, if you kind of like take away all the emotion that people are feeling now about everything is that the cast at the time, uh, you know, even, even until now, uh, is not the right cast to have someone like Donald Trump host with like this is a cast that is very clear about their political opinions themselves they mm. write show they write sketches with the tone of their own political opinions and that's not something that you sh you saw in like the history of the show like imagine you know if trump's around in the 70s and you have the original cast or you have maybe in the late 80s cast like so some of those like golden casts that we had in the history of the show um i don't know if there's as much animosity from the cast towards that decision and towards, you know, what's happening in the country. And I, I see what we have over the last few years is just like an ultimate, like, um, conflict of interest in the show as to how to handle what's happening. Yeah. And I think, you know, in previous eras, you could be sort of not terribly into politics, not really stake your claim as much. And that's fine, you know, and you could work together and be okay because politics were not as in your face on a daily basis where all of a sudden now it has to become your personality. Now you are defined by this. Uh, and I think it helps in previous years where, again, you have like a Jim Downey, who's just sort of pure anarchy, I guess, you know, people, a lot of people said, ah, oh, he's Republican or whatever, libertarian. Uh, I think Jim just hated everyone. So you really saw the show just take swipes at, at whoever Jim was pissed off at that week. Uh, people like Franken probably have a more clear through line of their, their feelings throughout the years. You can go back to, a season one Franken sketch and go, yeah, this, this guy's viewpoints have never changed. Uh, 
And I feel that the show more staking its claim as a more democratic leaning show is fine. You know, I, I don't think you need to shy away from how you lean. I mean, I don't think anybody ever really confused the show as, you know, leaning Republican for large amounts of it, even though they didn't go as hard. But you you do need to attack both sides, which I feel the show has not done as much over the last couple of years. And that's that's more of its its failing is uh, not hitting both sides as much anymore. And I, I think that also annoys people the the both sidesing of it but I, I think you do need to do that because i think there's clowns on every side and satire to be made uh all the time and just not about trump it doesn't have to be just about trump uh or this line of thinking uh you can you know there's fault in in almost everything so that's the thing that has gone to bother me the most, especially when they do do it. Uh, it, it, it succeeds. Cause like there's, oh, was that season 42? Well, yeah. like the bubble uh, was a fun sketch, you know, the bubble over New York uh, for uh, liberal people. The times they do it, they did succeed, but I, I think the show at this point is kind of scared to do that well well here's the thing it's that um look in, in 2016 lorne and the producers or whoever it is decides we're gonna bring in alec to play trump and you know no matter how you slice it no matter how long saturday night live goes on for if it goes to season 50 or 100 whatever it is whenever snl ends the decision to bring alec baldwin on to play trump is gonna be a big decision in the history of the show because it's basically the stepping stone to what we've seen in the last four years, which is like, you know, celebrity friends coming in to play political impressions because what happened is um, whether you, you believe it or not, those first few shows that Alec is playing Trump, they're hitting home runs. Even mm -hmm. if, even if you disagree with the, you know, the nature of, you know, the politics or whatever it is, you know, the show you know, the, the articles and the, the general culture around SNL is SNL is back. Um, and, you know, people are tuning in because they want to see, you know, how this develops, the Alec as Trump thing. And then they have the whole, you know, Larry David as Bernie thing. And, you know, it's just kind of snowballs to a point where they run this into the ground and ultimately to the detriment of the show. The SNL story. Yeah, and it's it's really crazy to see, and and I just I think we're we're too close to it to properly give it its like due, but I think that the Trump administration outside of the show, you know, in real life, is going to be defined by a million and one things. You know, like you're going to think about every single thing that went wrong with you know these past few years in, in real life, but at least if you're just going to talk about SNL on the show, you're going to look back at the show's decision to make the Trump administration about all the celebrity friends outside of the show that they decided to bring in to talk about the Trump administration or to play members of the Trump administration. And to me, it just got like, they got way too far ahead of themselves to the point where the show in a way kind of stopped being funny in certain aspects. And um, I, I, I don't mean to sound harsh, but I just, I just want to say like, it's, it's, 
Um, it's such a fascinating administration to talk about in terms of the history of the show. Yeah. And as you say, it did work initially. And I think it kind of spawned, it, it's the, the initial flashpoint is Tina Fey as Sarah Palin. That's where it starts. Right. Uh, and it, it did work initially with those debate sketches because again, much like a lot of people in the show, uh, we thought it'd be, you know, a four five, six week run of Alec as Trump. And that'd be it. You know, we had our fun. Uh, and I, I always thought that <laughs> it was going to bite him in the ass. The decision to stick with Alec for all four years, because every single summer, Alec's like, I hate doing this. I don't want to do it. Please don't let me do this. Season premiere. Alec is Trump. And it's like, what? And yeah. then we start throwing in other stuff like De Niro and this, that, and the other Kate as like, I, I had lost track of how many people Kate played in the administration and, and sort of dragged her down too. Cause she was one of my favorite performers on the show. And then uh, the legacy now for the last four years was just a lot of just a wash of, of white old white dudes that I don't remember, don't care to remember and just cameos and people not really cut out for for live performing like De Niro writers whose hearts just not in it. There's no concept behind it most of the time. Uh, they I don't know. They sing a song. I don't know. And I'm it, it's almost wild. It's it's crazy that there was as much celebration as there was seeing Alex Moffat come out as Biden for like 30 seconds. Cause just the, the simple idea of oh look a cast member playing, you know, our president. What fun. How did we uh, that was our inauguration? Him? That was that the inauguration happened when Moffat came out to play Biden. He's but like, how did nobody even get to this point where that's that's a cause of celebration? Like that's how broken the show was uh for so many years that we had to celebrate a cast member who was so obviously built to play biden is now playing him we should have been doing this at least two years before right so. and, and i felt like that was the moment where everyone like opened up their windows and were like can we go outside like it was like this like it was like this euphoric moment that was um that was like so exciting for the show but you know it it's like it, to, to me, um, it, you're so right in terms of the development of this, where they're bringing in all these cameos and all this stuff. And yeah. well, and it, it did work for a while. Like Melissa McCarthy as Sean Spicer, those were super fun too. Uh, it's just it got to a point where they that that was the only idea they had. Uh, and again, the the story of SNL is taking a good idea and then just grinding it into you know fine dust. And then everybody hates it. And the show is now forced, uh, you know, by gunpoint to change. Like, please change. Uh, it's happened so many times. I, d I don't know why they couldn't foresee it coming. Because I think, you know, after the first initial year, I don't, I don't think anybody was super hyped to see more Baldwin as Trump. And maybe nobody in the cast wanted to do it as well. There's also always that, you know, discussing Forte, not wanting to play Bush. Uh, 
there's certainly the idea that nobody wanted to do it, but throwing it back earlier in the conversation, then do a POV thing. My, my favorite, I still think the best uh, Trump satire the show did, or possibly anybody ever did, uh, was from the pen of Julio Torres, where it was uh, through Donald's eyes from the John Cena episode where it's a POV shot of, of Donald's day. He envisions himself as John Cena with giant cartoonish hands. Good morning, Mr. Trump. Huge, huge success. Fantastic. Victory, landslide, Fox News. In fashion, big blue suits and long red ties have sold out big success and uh it's short sweet to the point uh and does it's like that was it like you're done you've said all you needed to say there's almost nothing more to say about the man uh that there was so much other things happening that that just uh, baffling, baffling decisions. Yeah, look, I I think that the right call in retrospect was to give it back to Daryl. I think Daryl played Trump, you know, for for a while. I think that probably was the right decision. Um, ah, but you forget in like season forty one after Taryn, they did throw it back to Daryl for a while, and it looks like he was about to go to sleep during half of those cold opens. Like I think that's another reason why they took it away from Daryl is because like no, or a, a, or you're playing a guy yeah. from two thousand. Like you're still stuck in your two thousands performance, and also like dude, we we need some energy here. Uh, so I, I I don't think that was personally I don't think that would have been a good decision either because at least there was some amount of motion felt. See, or Steve or the Baldwin do it for sure. And, the, and you know what? I, actually, I'll, I'll take that back. It's not that I think that Hammond should have played Trump. I just think if there was going to be someone to do it, you know, I I think of the Hammond impression as the right impression for the show. But what they should have done was, you know, we're talking about we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. We talked about Chevy and how they played Ford, and you know the things that they've done over the years. I think the right thing to do was is it was very clear at the beginning of this administration that Trump was staying up to watch SNL to see what SNL was going to talk about him. And I think that the the best thing that they could have done, especially given the temperament of the cast, is to not have anybody play Trump. Yeah. And you could have had literally like a standee or a stick figure of Trump in a sketch, and that would have pissed him off so much. Like you could have just done something. The fact that he like the guy had no lines or something like you could have just found a way. I'm not a comedy writer, but all I'm just saying is, is that I just think that there was like almost something that they could have done at the time, which was like, we did it with Baldwin. We have the celebrity thing. It was really great. There was some funny stuff with Melissa as, as, uh, as Spicer. And there were some like really good things that they did. But then at a certain point, it's like, it's almost funnier if they just don't do Trump anymore because everybody knows that Trump wants it so badly to be done on SNL every single Saturday night. And I think that there was something there. Yeah, I mean, I think I was definitely one of those people as well. Of uh, just, you got to run at it a different way. Like this, we can't do this for four years or three more years or whatever. Uh, they they had to hit reset on it fairly quickly, and they never did. It was just push, keep on chugging along with this, I guess. And it, you know, it's hard to say if it helped the show because I mean, like that 
that episode he hosted got big ratings and you know like season 40 uh you had like the bill Hader episode which was like i think still the lowest rated episode the show has ever gotten season 41 you bring in the trump and then by season 42 they're doing the best ratings uh they've done in in the multiple decades so the gambit worked which is infuriating uh to me because <laughs> yeah. it was you know uh, but it worked and then they just kind of dropped the ball because the, nobody nobody had a good idea. Was, they had to keep on doing it every week, and nobody had a good idea for it. And I think it got a lot of people hate-watching the show, uh, focusing on that specific part of the show. You know, Again, bringing back the people that just watch it for the politics. Uh you had those people now in the conversation. It's like, well, guys, I mean, there's like, you know, 50 other minutes of, of content there that you could be watching that is, you know, hit or miss, but they're still doing a lot of solid stuff. And I think it just became too much of the conversation around the show and started it off on such a drudge uh, for, for viewers. Like to at a certain point, like this year, I just had to stop caring like stop even giving a shit about the cold opens because i just i know i'm not gonna like it and i just kind of have to patiently sit for up to 16 minutes before the show officially starts for me and i just i can't think that that's that, that it didn't help didn't help the show really you got you got more people hate watching it you got that commentary coming in it's dragging people down uh and yet they're still forced to do it because I think that's just Lauren's. You got to do it. You got people want to see us say something about this. He's like, we have nothing to say. He's like, I find something to say. Yeah, and I, I, you know, you brought up um, a really interesting point, which will lead us into our discussion about the Biden thing as we move forward. Is that uh, you mentioned? You know, this kind of started. This whole celebrity thing started with bringing back Tina Fey to play Sarah Palin in two thousand and eight. And to me, I, I get that and I understand that argument. But you know, Tina had left the show. You know, two years prior um, or a year and a half earlier. It, it to you know, she's still you know part of the family. And I know that Alec is you know the person who's hosted the show the most. But there is something to me a little bit different about bringing back a cast member from the previous cast or the cast before that to come and play a character. Like when they brought back Jan hooks to play Hillary Clinton after she left the show, like I don't have problems with stuff like this. It's not like, Oh, you have to give it to somebody in the current cast, which is why I don't have a problem. if they would have gone back to Sudeikis for Biden, um, mm. I, I just think that there is a certain meta-ness around the show that I felt like, the Trump impression that was like more of a Daryl Hannah thing in my mind. And then it became a Baldwin thing and it, and it gone, it really went off course. And with Biden, for me, it was like, now you're bringing in Jim Carrey at the beginning of the year and you gave it to Woody Harrelson and John Mulaney last year. And it was like really heading down the wrong course. Like, it's like, Oh my God, are we doing this whole thing all over again? Ugh. And <laughs> so for me, the, the show had two options. It was go back to Sudeikis or give it to Moffat. And the Sudeikis thing, for whatever reason, maybe it's all, uh, you know personal obligations, whatever. But to me, the show made the best choice it could have made. And I, I've said this over the last few weeks. 
you know, I'm praying that in a couple of weeks when the show starts, we get that Moffat impression again of Biden, because I think that, like I said, the show was like skiing down the hill, like went right through the woods, like hit itself on a bunch of trees. And now it's like finally got itself back on like the right, the right part of the course. So, yeah. Uh, and, and every single time, like it's already the Jim Carrey Biden thing is already memory hold for me. Every single time people bring it up, I was like, I, Oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. Especially since, as I just said, uh, my brain would just shut off when it happened. Um, and to think that we had that time with Woody Harrelson or Mulaney or Jim Carrey when it could have been Moffat already working on this character, getting it, you know, getting through those initial first early sketches, figuring out the character. Now we've had like 30 seconds of them and we're going to be coming back and it's going to be right after the inauguration. And it's like all eyes on this performance now. And so that's that's so rough for the man because we've had all this time we could have been working on it, getting it going, leaning into finding out all the right beats to hit that Moffat can hit with this, and and now it's going to be you know now they got to work it out on the fly, and uh, you know that's 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 rough. Yeah, and, and this is what I'll say. I, I know a lot of crazy stuff has already happened at the start of 2021. There's a lot of things going on in the world, and, and people have the oh, right to what? be up- What's been happening? <laughs> and people have the right to be upset. Um, you know, we're, we're not talking politics here, but I, what I would say is, like, look, there's going to be a big change in the world. That's why we're doing this podcast. There's going to be a big change in a few days. Um, you know, it changes the way decisions are made. And, and the hope is that 2021 is going to be a good year as we move forward and it becomes more positive for people. And I think that's where the show is too. I think that the show is ready to, you know, move on from the last few years and to do some really fun things. You know, I, I'm so interested to see where this Moffat Biden impression is going to go. And I guess that's, you know, kind of where I want to close the end of our discussion on is like, you know, based on all the impressions we've spoken about, um, you know, from, from Nixon and Ford all the way to Clinton and the Bushes and everything like that, you know, how are we going to go about this Moffat Biden impression? You know, if you're running the show or you're a writer and you're working with him, is it that, you know, Moffat's going to have to find his own take on Joe Biden and then become, you know, that version of Biden like we've seen in previous presidents? Or is it one of those things where he becomes a little bit of a background character like we saw in the Obama administration and the show just goes back to being, you know, you know, a funny show that doesn't necessarily have to be about politics all the time. So if you had a choice and it, you know, a little bit of an effect on the show, where would you recommend that they go? I mean, it all depends on how this year shakes out, but certainly I would love for them to, especially after the last four years, let's let the politics take a back seat. Let's just get back to being funny again. Like just hell. Let's see a cold open that has nothing to do with politics. And I, I feel like the show has gotten away from from any idea of like what a cold open for a show should do, which is just be quick, provide some energy, say that live from New York, and boom, we're going. It's to provide some pace to get into the show. Uh, and that's like more than anything. That's why those like 16-minute uh, cold opens, you know, pissed me off so much. It's like this is so far from what this part of the show, uh, in theory, should be doing. Um, I, I, I have faith that Moffat will have some 
take on it. I don't know what it's going to be because like Sudeikis was just basically, you know, kind of Uncle Creepy. Jim Carrey's was some sort of finger gun aviator glass man. I, I don't know. We never found it with, with Carrey. Um, but I, I think Moffat is uh, is talented enough that he can find his own way into it. Will they have somebody writing that stuff that can come up to his level? I don't know. I still think the show, uh, they need to find that person. They need to find uh, a writer who that that is their interest. Like Colin Jost, I mean, he's just a like he he likes goofy words and shit. Like this is not a man who's who's built for political commentary. He's built for writing ex porn star sketches. Like that's that's you know that's where he shines. Um, so we need to the show needs to find that it it is very very important that they need to do it and it's very baffling to me that they haven't because again the show puts uh, such importance on that but also just throws in people unwilling to do it, unprepared to do it, uh, not enough time, all this, uh, and says, go. But it's one of the most important parts of the show. So find somebody whose passion is this, and we will be in a better place. But also just do it when something needs to be said. Uh, You have a concept. Don't just do a dry podium, direct to the camera, Here's some of the things that happened this week. We have some tepid jokes. Uh, have a concept. Concepts. That's, you know, talking about all this and how little so many of these things hold up. You can go back and watch a Chevy as Ford cold open and laugh because it's just couched in physical humor. Or uh, one of my, I just rewatched it the other day, uh, the Woody Harrelson episode from from season 40. That was one of my favorite cold opens. It's uh, Jay Farrell as Obama, Taryn as Mitch McConnell. Uh, midterm elections just happen. And they're, it, it's just couched the idea of these two getting drunker over the course of the night, having a conversation. And so it's it's not even so much couched in what happened that week. It's just a funny idea of what happens when these two are now 11 drinks in at 12 at midnight, you know, and it holds up that way because there is something more than just regurgitating what happened that week. There there's, you know, it's a sketch show. There's gotta be a concept there. I feel. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that you made such a good point and it's something I hadn't really thought about, but if, if the, cause I, I know you have a tendency uh, to look, you know, I, I look at the cast, I analyze the cast, I do stats on the cast. And I know that the writers are just as much part of the show, but I don't like, that's not always where my mind goes at first. And you're so right that, you know, let's spend the second half of 46 trying to figure out what we can do with Alex Moffat as Biden. And if it's not there, don't give it up. I think that they need to spend the summer looking for writers to come in for 47 to nail down what it is they want to do with that impression, if that's the case. And, you know, give the fans of SNL, especially in the super fan community, give us a little bit of credit that we're going to give you back the time and space to figure this out. This isn't mm-hmm. something that needs to be done 
um, you know, by February or March or May, like it, it could be done, you know, by December, like let take the rest of 2021 to figure out what this is, because we're going to be with Biden for at least four years. And the hope is that Moffat will establish himself as the show's, you know, official Biden president. So as long as they get there, eventually, we're going to be willing to be patient that they go for it. But just don't, you know, give up on it before you give us, you know, the chance to really fall in love with whatever it is they're going to do. Yeah. But also I do need to feel that the show is searching for that. Yeah. You know, because it, it, like we just discussed, it felt like the last couple of years, they just gave up and said, this is it. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, I I think it is going to be maybe a little bit rough. Hopefully. I mean, you know, my, my hope is that we hit the ground running with Moffat as Biden. And, you know, we've had, over a month to at least be thinking about it to a certain degree. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, where everybody is in the country right now, but, you know, certainly I'm, I'm sure Moffat himself has been, been thinking about what the take is and, you know, I, I'm there for it. We're, we're all going to be there for it. We're all, we're all super excited again. <laughs> like yeah. Everybody's excited for it. So just give it the, the time to breathe uh, for sure. But if it's not working, don't then throw it to a celebrity cameo or something. Uh, start feeling around for other writers to have their take on it uh, and, and see what happens there. So, yeah. But, uh, you know, it's hard to say even what the show is doing with its writers and cast right now anyway, because it, uh, so many people are presumably, you know, on the their last chunk uh, of time on the show. So who who knows? Really? Yeah. Well, I think we're headed towards a good place. Um, you know, now that now that we went through all the administrations, like I said, at the beginning of the show to all of the people who are listening, we didn't get to cover every single little minute detail. I don't think you want us to, because I think if you're that interested, you'll go back and check it out. Um, yeah. So, I mean, look, there's so many, you know, we didn't even get, get to cover, like, there's a lot of really interesting, you know, non-presidential political impressions over the years. But I know that, you know, when, when I brought you in here, you said, why me? Why me? Like, I don't love, you know, SNL politics. But did you find this conversation at least interesting for yourself to kind of cover it from, you know, a little bit of a step back? Uh, yeah. I mean, I can't believe we've made it to an hour 25. Honestly, I, I was very surprised. But, you know, I, I I always have something to say about SNL. So, yeah. and even if I'm not a political person, you know, certainly have felt a lot of emotions about uh, how the show has approached its political material over the years. So, you know, I'm just hoping, I'm hoping the show can do, it can just attack more. Like, I, I, I don't just want another four years of simply just Biden. There's other places to go uh, than just the president. And I feel that's always the more interesting thing to do because then you can get other cast members in there playing other people. And it just makes it more, you have more variety in in what you can do because at a certain point, you know, there's only so much you can do with the character of Trump or Biden because the person doesn't move much. It's not a character that, that expands, has an arc mostly. So uh, more variety is always what I'm hoping for from SNL. 
For sure. And, and also, like with the new administration, you know, this is the opportunity to take your your rookies and your sophomores, like take your Chloe Feynman's, take your um, Dismukes, like take your Bowen Yang's, like take all these new people and find places for them to play characters in the administration. If you have takes on them, you know, these are the types of people like don't just give them to, you know, the Cecilies and the Kates and like everybody who's on their way out, like give it to the people who are coming in that are going to be with the show for years to come and that we can grow with these characters. And I think that you know, we're always like saying like, oh yeah, what, what do we remember from the first or second season of X or Y? It, it's because you give these younger cast members these opportunities. Yeah, I, I feel the show always seems reticent to change because I, I just, I don't think they have the faith in their audience that they should. Like, they feel like we're, we're scared of change. Uh, when I feel like a lot of people are, are you know, <laughs> demanding it, like, please. Um so, uh, yeah, I hope they just realize that we're all along for the ride. And uh, as salty as I can be about this show, I'm always there every week, always hoping to have fun. Uh, and yeah. I'm never I'm not going to stop. So you just, you know, keep on trying. Keep on trying. Don't just land at one thing and go, well, eh, that's it. You know, eh, four years of this. Fine. Uh, just keep on going. I'm sure people have ideas. These are comedy writers. They're going to well, do it. Speaking of being there every week, uh, what are you up to on that week in SNL right now? Uh, we got, you know, got more episodes coming up. Speaking of Salty, we, we uh, talked about the Charles Barkley episode from season 37 uh, just recently. That turned out to be a <laughs> surprisingly Salty episode. Don't know what happened there. Uh, coming up uh, this week, we were actually uh, able to get Arthur Meyer, who was a uh, writer and sketch coordinator for Jimmy Fallon for a uh, number of years. And uh, we have him on. We're talking about the Elliot Gould episode from season one, which is, I, I think, uh, kind of where the show finally coalesces into, uh, you know, what what is recognizably SNL. And it's a it's a fun episode. Just finished editing it uh, coming out this Friday. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, like I said the last week, if you haven't checked out our show for a super fan takeover and you're like, eh, well, I don't know. Do I really want to participate in these fun game shows? Uh, you know, I would rather just listen to the round tables. I mean, that's cool. You don't have to, but if you decide you want to go back and listen, they're really fun. You know, these guys that we have on the show, they've, you know, they're experts in SNL. They love talking about things and they just, you know, uh, you, we, they come up with interesting concepts. And like I had mentioned, they went back in time. They talked about you know alternate universes and things that could have happened in the history of the show they played some trivia so it's a really fun show a couple of weeks back we did a by the numbers show so if you're really interested in the stats aspect of what we do our stats guru mike murray he does incredible work to calculate who's actually doing well on the show and who's not we actually played a game where we gave you like a daily fantasy budget and we said here's 25 dollars pick your cast members and it was based on his rankings and it was just a really fun show so if you want to check out those two that would be great. We uh, we have something fun coming up next week, and then we're back with our regular roundtables coming up in two weeks for the shows that we are going to be getting. I assume SNL will be announcing the episodes very soon along with the hosts, so you, you guys are going to get to see that. And uh, if you haven't seen it already, depending on when this is coming out, and uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Please make sure to subscribe to SNL Stats on YouTube as well as follow us on Twitter or Instagram to never miss a show. 
Thank you all. We will see you next time. And for everyone who is either following the inauguration or attending it or coming nearby, I don't know what the situation is down there, but whatever it is, please stay safe. Please stay healthy. I know the world is a little bit crazy, but we hope that everything is going to be okay. Thank you, everybody. Have a good one. Have a great week ahead.